This episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And please join me on my Facebook site, which is Recovery is Possible, and my website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. It's VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And I am out in Ohio this week, the first week of March. And the reason I'm here is I'm attending a post-critical incident seminar called ASSIST, which is for first responders in Ohio. Uh, and actually, we have some guests that are from around the country. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that is and some of the things that that we do at ASSIST to help first responders. And it's a fantastic program. And I began my journey with Ohio ASSIST probably four years ago, I, I guess it was. And that was a result of uh, being asked to come out here by Harry Marshall, who we've interviewed on this podcast before, uh, to come out and, and do the alcohol and addiction piece for first responders. And it's been fantastic. And uh, I'm blessed and honored to have today as a guest, uh, Helen Hill, who is a LISWS, which that's a licensed independent social worker with a supervisory designation. And she's going to be talking to us about some of the clinical services that they provide here at ASSIST, and not just at ASSIST, but for uh, folks in the community in general. And she's going to be talking about some of the techniques that they use, specifically uh, EMDR. And I know that that's a, a term that's been thrown out on this podcast before. Maybe some of you have heard about that. But Helen's going to talk a little bit more about what that is, and more importantly, why that works. And so with that, Helen, thanks for coming on to the program. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you for having me. So EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, was created 30-some years ago by our originator, Dr. Francine Shapiro, who was a psychologist. Originally, she termed it EMD, uh, and she didn't realize till later on that the reprocessing part was happening. She thought she was just desensitizing uh, negative memories and later realized that reprocessing was happening. I've been trained in EMDR around 29 years. When I first was trained, it was considered, boy, really out there and woo-woo, and um, people were kind of cautious about it. I was one of the first handful of people here in Columbus that were trained, and I've stayed pretty active in the community. I was approached uh, by some of the folks in Ohio Assist about five years ago before the program started. And they asked me to be a clinician, and I signed on, really not having much of an idea of exactly how this was all going to work. It's worked very well. And after the first session, I became the clinical director um, for Ohio Assist. Uh, Let's first talk a little about what is EMDR, and then I'll talk about how we use it in this program. It is essentially a very structured form of psychotherapy. But unlike other psychotherapies, it's really not based so much on talking, although obviously there is talking involved, but it's really based more on our theoretical orientation uh, about adaptive information processing. The idea is that certain memories get frozen and need some assistance in getting them updated to, uh, to current realities. Uh, we often look at brain functioning as we talk about EMDR and how the various parts of the brain are involved, and how to best utilize that. 
Uh, eye movement is kind of the hallmark of EMDR because it's part of the name. But Dr. Shapiro had said later on that if she had to rename it, again, it wouldn't involve eye movement. It would be probably something about bilateral stimulation. So when you hear the phrase eye movement, I want you to think bilateral stimulation because especially in this age of uh, telehealth, we don't use eye movements nearly as often as we used to. And a lot of times we're using bilateral tapping. For example, I might have you follow me as I tap on my shoulders repetitively as part of the processing of EMDR. And of course, we all wonder exactly how that works. There's plenty of research that says it does work, and there's nothing that says exactly how it works. I've had trainees get mad at me because I won't tell them how it works. Well, I can't tell you how it works because nobody knows that. (laughs) Um, There's various theories that float around. Uh, Does it mimic REM sleep? That's one theory. And when you think about what REM sleep does and the brain's trying to fix things, that makes some sense. Are we uh, taxing working memory, which I think is kind of one of the favorite theories right now. If I'm keeping your working memory busy with um, the eye movements or the taps or the whatever or combinations thereof, then other parts of your brain can be working on the problem area. Um, the, the idea of dual attention stimulation is pretty uh, prominent now in the thinking of how it works. But that's all theoretical. But when you hear EMDR, I want you to realize that it's, it's much more than just eye movements. I will tell you that when I first got trained 29 years ago, uh, the training was much different. But I remember thinking, I'm going to Chicago for two days to learn how to wave my fingers in someone's <laughs> face. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 29 years later, I'm still learning, developing, and uh, mastering. Hopefully, uh, this is an intervention, but I realize on the surface it can look kind of simplistic and kind of woo-woo. I won't go into the research a great deal here, but if you go to the website emdria, E-M-D-R-I-A.com, or emdr.com, You'll find loads of research if you like to dive into that stuff. Mm. I'll just leave it as we have very good validation. And validation in psychotherapy is hard to come by. Um, yeah, you know, is it um, true that this had its origins with veterans coming back from war? And I had heard that this was almost discovered by accident. Is there some truth to that? That's, a, that's an excellent question yeah. because there are, I think, some urban myths around how yeah. it was discovered. I do know in Shapiro's original research, one of the subjects was a Vietnam veteran. and uh, But there was also, I think, a sexual abuse veteran, a sexual abuse victim, and some other folks thrown in. But she did work with veterans early on. Because that, yeah, that, was, that was the original, original sample base, I, I right. guess. And it seemed that it was, it had to do with somebody, you know, juggling balls or doing repetitive movement. And they found that somehow that put people um, at ease or uh, comforted mm-hmm. them a little bit. Is that urban myth as well? I think it is. It is urban I, I, I must say in my 29-ish years in EMDR, I've not heard that before. That doesn't mean it's not possible, but I've not heard that before. Now, is it also true that EMDR is more effective 
with a specific event as opposed to let's let's say I have let's say I come to you and I say I'm your client and I say that you know I don't really have any one particular event that that's bothering me it's just 30 years of law enforcement 20 years whatever it may be yeah um, it, that's just cumulative stress and it's just very generalized is it less effective on that than it is if I came to you and I was involved in a shooting or a, a mass event or right. a car crash or something like does it in other words is it more effective targeting a specific event it's easier as a clinician to do with the specific event but it's equally effective whether we're talking as we say in PCIS do we have a thousand duck bites or one bear bite Um, it can be equally effective because what you're looking at is really, part of it is the event, but underlying that is what's the negative belief that I have about myself in relation to this event. And so the duck bites and the bear bites somewhat recede when you're looking at that belief structure and how that is affecting the memory of that event. Okay. Is that another way of saying that your belief that this will be effective really contributes to it actually being effective. You don't need to believe that EMDR will be effective to have it work. Uh, trainees, mm. I, I'm also a trainer, and trainees often ask that, well, what if the client doesn't think it'll work? It doesn't matter. I, okay. But one of my favorite stories on that was a man I saw years ago, worked on some issues. Um, he went home and came back the next week, And of course, my follow-up question is, so on X, Y, and Z target, you know, how disturbing is that? And he just laughed. He says, I tried to bring that stuff up all weekend and I couldn't do it. It's not there. And he was very much the skeptic. Uh, Skepticism has nothing to do with its effectiveness. Really? Uh, There is no real placebo effect. Um, In your clinical practice, what would you, so this has been effective. I mean, Mm -hmm. how, I mean, is this, what what would you say the rate is if you, if you could get 90% effective? I would say somewhere in the 80 to 90% rate. And some clinicians may report different rates, but they might not be as stubborn as I am. Right. uh, And as persistent as I am. And sometimes, you know, initially things may fizz. But if you keep, the issue will still be there and it'll keep coming up. I, and I had someone earlier today who in the beginning was going, this just isn't working, this just isn't working. And then I changed just one little bit of technique and all of a sudden we have the affect storm and it's, we're in the work. Yeah, and I, and I like it because it, it's sort of that, my experience in working with recovery issues, and, and again, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I bring people on onto this program that are on the cutting edge of recovery. Although EMDR has been around for a while, right? It has been around for a while, but I don't know that it's it, it's really in the popular psyche, in the popular recovery psyche. Because no. I know I'd been in recovery for a while mm-hmm. before I had had heard of it, and in my own recovery journey, my impression has been that oftentimes in recovery, and I'm talking about drugs and alcohol here, okay, (laughs) but I I, I think you can take sort of this same concept into, you know, other modalities and, and other issues that it seems like we have gotten into a rut 
that there's certain things that we do. For example, um, alcohol and drug recovery, 28-day programs, 56-day yep. programs, 90-day yep. programs, yep. and you will do this. And, and, it, and it's going to be very uh, – uh, some people are very 12-step oriented. Others are not 12-step oriented. And, and people tend to get into those, whatever your belief system is, and mm-hmm. that's what it is. And, you, and so you have clients that come to, say, if, uh, a treatment center, mm-hmm. and what we will do is this is our program, and they will call it a program, and you come in, and everybody goes through that program, and then we wonder why on the other end of the program we have a relapse rate that is just horrendous. Mm-hmm. And we wonder. And and I've wondered about that because I've thought I know that the things that have been suggested to me in the programs that I've gone through, and I went mm-hmm. through treatment twice, that and I followed those programs, but it didn't quite work for me. And I found that I had success when I started branching into things that were kind of unique to my experience, unique to how I think about myself, and kind of I ended up adapt instead of me adapting to the programs, I kind of took programs and adapted them to how I think and I'm motivated because I'm not really motivated the way the next person because we're all individuals and we're all motivated in different <clears throat> ways and what I found in my own recovery is then I had to start bringing in other tools into my life that maybe work for you that maybe don't work uh, work for me that maybe don't work for you right now uh, when I heard about EMDR mm-hmm. um, I thought well why was I never introduced to that before mm-hmm. and the, the people that have done it, and I know that in the four years that I've been doing um, Ohio Assist out here, this PCIS, there are first responders that have young, gone through it. In fact, today, this afternoon, there were some individuals that went through it, and they come back and they go, oh, I feel different already. It's already been effective. And, and it's, it's been life-changing for them in a very short amount of time. And that's a tool that if you're out there and you're struggling with uh, post-traumatic stress or an addiction issue or some sort of a trauma issue, and you've not heard of EMDR, I would highly suggest that you check it out and have an open mind about trying new modalities. And if you've tried other things and you're not getting relief, it doesn't hurt. But do have an open mind about these procedures because is that not been your experience, Helen, that that the, the people that it works for, and mm-hmm. I'm granted not for everybody, but for the people that it works for, have had a dramatic effect. Especially yeah. here when we're in this very supportive program, it's it's like ideal for getting the work done. Um, I would say some work I did earlier today probably would have taken me three months on an outpatient basis, but we're in a supportive environment. I've gotten the history yesterday, and today we're in, we're ready to work. And that person is now back in a supportive environment uh, for the next couple of days. And that's one session. That's one session. One that was session. a little, I think it was an hour and a half. I had a long one today. Yeah. But there are times uh, at PCIS where in 20 minutes, someone clears something that's been bugging them for a long time. One of the saddest things in this program is when people come in with issues that they've had for 20, 30 years and yes, it's great that it's cleared in an hour, and it's sad that they've carried it for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because of the damage that can do in someone's life. Yeah. Um, I uh, worked in a uh, rehab program about 25 years ago, a local one that was uh, nationally well regarded. And what we specialized in were people who relapsed repetitively. And so much of that population had a trauma history, which is part of why they hired me, because of my trauma background. That was before I learned EMDR. Um, But that was so often the scenario. And 
I just think it's really important to keep that in everyone's awareness that relapsing doesn't mean you're a bad person. It might mean you're white-knuckling it. I mean, the typical scenario is I'm sober, and now here come the thoughts and the memories, and I am white-knuckling it every day. Mm -hmm. And there are other options, folks, and EMDR is a really good way to clear out some of that. Years ago, we were taught that if someone's in recovery, don't touch them with EMDR for 90 days. And uh, we think of it very differently now, and most clinicians will go in pretty early on. And again, part of it depends upon the symptomatology. If your flashbacks are flipping you into relapsing all the time, I'm much more aggressive with EMDR than if I'm coping. You know, I might say, you're coping, you're managing, it's not awful, let's, let's give sobriety a little more of a, a road test. Um, my qualification if push comes to shove. Obviously, I like for people to be clean and sober for a while, but if push comes to shove, my thing is, could you not use yesterday? Can you not use today, the day we process? Can you promise me not to use tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So that we have at least a little window there uh, of, of sobriety so that this process can work a little better. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and if you, if you are someone, you talked about working with groups that were consistent repetitive relapsers, mm -hmm. which frankly is a large number of people that attempt to get into sobriety. That was certainly the case with me. And I, I like how you mentioned that because, and I, we talk about the models that people stick to, and, and, and frankly, a lot of treatment centers stick with one model and they do not deviate from that model. What I would say, and this is just my viewpoint and what I've seen in recovery is if you're on your fourth, fifth, and I've, I've seen people eight, nine, ten sure. stints, in, and sure. I know, Helen, you, you've seen yeah. that as well, but my, my question to you, if you are someone that is in that, if, if I'm describing you when I say that, my question is, well, what is it about the 10th treatment facility mm -hmm. that you think is going to be different than the fifth or the second? Okay. And it, obviously something is not working. Mm -hmm. So what I would recommend is if instead of going back to the same program, try something different, mm -hmm. you know, explore, because something is not working. Because I'm telling you, recovery does work. Recovery is possible. Mm -hmm. I'm living proof of that. There's a lot of millions of people out there are living proof of it. So they're doing whatever it is that works for them. And that's one of the tenets to recovery is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get well? But again, we're human beings. And what it took for me, maybe slightly, to, there are themes. There are themes in recovery that are, if, if you go to enough recovery meetings and you listen to people that have decades of sobriety and, and you put them all in a room, you're going to find there's certain things that all of them have in common, mm -hmm. certain principles that they adhere to, but the specifics of how they got to those principles may vary a bit. And so we're just throwing this out there today is EMDR is another tool. And if you are on, if you are one of those people that is repetitive relapsing and you know, you're hitting one program after another. This is a tool that you might want to check out, an option to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And for some of the folks, as we all know, uh, women especially uh, who are um, addicts or people with addiction uh, often struggle with a lot of shame-based and that's another area where the EMDR might be useful, uh, especially if some of that shame is tied to sexual abuse. So those are things to consider. 
I would also ask that if someone out there has had multiple relapses and uh, is considering and has that trauma history and is considering EMDR, make sure you get screened for dissociation because those are kind of red flaggy things. And uh, so just be aware that a a good screen for dissociation, which is real quick, uh, is a good uh, hoop to jump through in that process. Okay. Um, Any final thoughts on what you would recommend for people? I would just like to talk a little about some specialized protocols that we have in the Mm -hmm. world of EMDR for uh, persons with addiction. Uh, Probably the most used is Popke's protocol. Popke's the the name of the originator, and it's called DETUR, D-E-T-U-R. And honestly, I don't always remember what the initials stand for, but basically, (coughs) excuse me, it's very much about identifying triggers and doing relapse prevention. It's a very structured protocol. I always joke that if you've started the Popke protocol, you'll be doing that in session for a number of weeks. It's not like something you do for 20 minutes and you're done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really good to be structured. Mm -hmm. And um, people have had very good results with it. Um, Robert Miller has the Feeling State Addiction Protocol, which is useful not only for drugs and alcohol, but for a variety of behavioral addictions. And kind of my favorite of the bunch, though, was there was a little study done in Italy. And uh, what they did was they had treatment as usual for folks with addiction. And then they added in one hour a week of EMDR based on family of origin issues. And they showed significant gains in functioning and sobriety Mm -hmm. uh, just by adding that little hour a week, which is a pretty simple way to modify a treatment protocol. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are a few of our special. There's others, but those are the main ones. Well, that's great. Now, so you're in Ohio. So if anybody's listening there in Ohio, can you describe where you're located and, and how would somebody listening to this program get hold of you okay. if they wanted to either contact you or get a referral from you right. or those things? Uh, I am in private practice in Columbus uh, at 1170 Old Henderson Road, Suite 216, Columbus, Ohio, 43220. The easiest way to reach me is email, which is hill, L-I-S-W, at gmail. And that's three L's in a row. Don't let it trip <laughs> you up. Uh, I don't take referrals now because between PCIS and being a trainer for EMDR and theoretically being semi-retired, I just can't do justice to Well, you're it. like me. In theory, in retired. Theory. You like that in theory. Yeah, people roll their eyes. I feel like I'm working all... more hours in retirement than I ever did yes, on the job. I hear uh, you. And, yeah. But I'm always happy to try and help you find a referral. Yeah, and that's the important thing. So uh, if Helen can't help you, she can, because uh, there's a number of people, in fact, uh, here at sure. PCIS where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, how, how many of these folks are certified that are here? Um, in certified in terms of trained in EMDR. Yeah. They're all trained. Um, most of them are certified clinicians. Some aren't. And, of course, in addition to the five of us that are here now, we have three sitting on the bench right now who aren't right. here uh, this time. And, again, Columbus has a very active EMDR community. Yeah. Um, we've always had lots of trainings here and, and lots of community. Yeah. Well, folks, I, I can just tell you that I have seen a number of people say, Wow, that's wonderful. And if you're listening to this program, the, the crowd that we're working with is the first responder crowd, mainly police officers. Uh, and these are, if you want to talk about skeptical people, <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm saying that with love because I am one of those people. Uh, We are not the most uh, uh, open to new ideas kind of people there are. But these guys, and it's great to see these hardened cops. Yes. And they've been through a lot. If they hadn't been through a lot, they wouldn't even be here in this program that we're in right now. And they come back and they're like, wow, I don't know what that is, but that was fantastic. And it it worked. Crazy voodoo stuff. Yeah, we do. We do, and it's it, it it works. It works again, or at least it's worth giving a shot. Like like any modality, any modality mm-hmm. out there, there's not a hundred percent right uh, success rate, and there's probably a lot of reasons why that may be. But I do know this: it's more people that say that it's effective with them than not. I, I, I know and it that. is a tough crowd. You're right. A very tough crowd. Yeah. And um, and so if you're not in that category, then you're probably going to be easier to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, you know, we, we are here to provide the tools and the resources and the encouragement. And that's that's why we do this podcast. And that's why we're, we're bringing you this. So, Helen, thank you very much for you're welcome. joining I hope us today. It's helpful. Yeah. So, again, this is Mike Van Meter from the Recovery is Possible podcast. Reach us out on our Facebook page and our website is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Reach out to us. If there's anything that we talked about here today that you don't agree with or isn't useful to you, that's fine. Go ahead, but take whatever you can use to help yourself or others because that's what we do in recovery. Uh, we want to help one another in this journey to get well because that's, that's what it's all about. Folks, we will see you next time, and thanks. This episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach. Recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community, they've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients for their families, in our community. Learn more at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com.